Hello and welcome to another episode of Pittsburgh Sports Memories. I'm your host, Steve Wirt, and as usual, I'm joined with my co-host. Hi everybody, I'm Tim Hannon. And on today's amazing podcast, we'll be covering the Winter Classic of 2008. And uh, I'm going to call this the Penguins Coming Out Party. So, um, you know, the NHL, they decided to uh, take their hockey game outside and uh, the Penguins and the Sabres uh, were, were playing in that. And uh, we're going to look at this uh, inaugural was the first winter classic. And, um, you know, it just was kind of like, hello, world. Here's the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, if you don't know them. So without further ado, we'll jump right into it. Um, some background on like outdoor games in general. Um, I think there was one in the fifties. I didn't do much research on it. I don't know. The Red Wings played some prison team or something. I'm literally not making that up, but, um, there, I do remember seeing this game on ESPN classic. It's called a, it was a preseason game and it was the Kings played the Rangers in a preseason game. It was outside in the parking lot of Caesar's palace. So, um, I'm not sure if Evil Knievel like jumped the rink before the before the game or anything like that. <laughs> Remember, Evil Knievel famously jumping the fountains at Caesar's Palace. Um, so it's kind of an interesting place. Like, why would you play a game like a hockey game in the middle of the desert outside? It's kind of kind of an odd thing to do. But um, I think it was mainly because Wayne Gretzky and they're trying to hype. Even back in 1991, they were trying to prepare, I guess, Las Vegas to become an expansion city all the way back then. So, um, the Kings did win. They won five to two. Like I said, uh, by the end of the second period, a bunch of grasshoppers hopped on the ice and froze. So the I, the ice service for like the rest of the game was covered with like grasshoppers. Um, and the attendance was about 14,000 fans watched a preseason game. So um, it kind of like was like, hey, people like watching hockey games outside or in unique venues, I guess. Um, and now this wasn't like in a stadium or anything. They actually built a rink in the parking lot of the of the casino. So what really kind of started everything was it, it goes like, I guess, it literally 10 years later on October 6th, 2001. Michigan played Michigan State in hockey at Spartan Stadium. The game ended in a 3-3 tie. Uh, but um, that was kind of like the um, the game that started all the outside game stuff. It was a very – well, I shouldn't say that – yeah, I guess it is, yes. So the it, it set an all-time hockey attendance at the time of 74,544. And like I said, this is kind of like you have it in your big football stadium where you have a bunch of seats and, the you know, the concession stands and rep, you know, everything's kind of set up for the fans. And you just put a rink inside a big outdoor stadium. So that was kind of like the prototype for the outdoor games to follow. Um, the first regular season NHL game that was held outside was called the Heritage Classic, and it was held on November 22nd. 2003 at Edmonton's Commonwealth Stadium and that is the home of the CFL's Edmonton Eskimos I'm not sure if that's where Warren Moon played <laughs> I think he played in Edmonton 
Um, but this is a, another football stadium outdoors in Canada in November, which you wouldn't think is very cold, but uh, it was. Uh, there was a uh, alumni game before the regular game, so it was kind of like the whole day was like a like a celebration of uh, hockey. And it, it featured uh, Wayne Gretzky and Guy Lafleur, since the two teams playing were the Montreal Canadiens and the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, the Canadians ended up winning four to three, and the game time temperature was negative twenty two degrees Fahrenheit. That wow, I can't believe it got that cold in November, but um, that's that's wild. That's Canada. That is very cold. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember. I I, I think Pittsburgh had a day where it was like negative nineteen. I remember I had to work outside then. I think I was like probably Wendy's, like cleaning a parking lot. Like, it made me go outside like negative nineteen. And like I remember going into the freezer to get warm. It was like warmer in the freezer at like zero than it was. <laughs> it's like, hey, it's way warmer. Negative twenty-two. I don't know what that is in Celsius, but that's pretty darn cold in Fahrenheit. So um so the the attendance for that game was fifty-seven thousand one hundred and sixty-three. And it was like a huge success. I remember it made like a lot of highlights on ESPN and stuff, and it was just kind of fascinating because I mean, I never, I never had really heard much hype about that Michigan, Michigan State game, but that game seemed to get a lot of like, I don't know, maybe because Gretzky was in it and it was a regular season NHL game, so that got like a lot of like, it really got a lot of, you know, hype and kind of got people's imaginations turning about having a game outside. So that's kind of like if the Michigan, Michigan State was like the prototype, that was kind of the proof of concept. Was that that game? I would. I would call it. Yeah, I remember that that 2003 game. And like you said, it was kind of a curiosity. It was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. They're going to play a game outside. And um, I didn't realize it was that popular. Like, I, I remember seeing it. I don't think I watched it, but I remember seeing that they were going to do it and thinking like, oh, that's that's pretty neat. And I wonder how that's going to look, work out. And I remember watching the highlights and stuff. Um, but yeah, 50, you say 57,000 people. I mean... And and then probably their only question after that was, you know, could you replicate that in the States for a hockey game? Uh, yeah, that's definitely what it moves on to. And it's, uh, I mean, I don't think that game was broadcast in the United States. I think it was only broadcast in Canada. So I don't know that you could have, could have watched it in the United States. And that was kind of pre, like, nowadays, you definitely probably could have streamed it somewhere, but. Back then in 2003, I don't know how you would have watched that without actually having it on like some sort of cable channel. Um, So the NHL decides to have a big event game to try and improve the visibility of the league. This obviously, you know, they've gone through a lockout. So when was the lockout? was like 2005. So they're trying to kind of like since hockey was gone for a whole season and people kind of forgot about it, I think they were trying to like, you know, get things going again in hockey. So the NHL and their broadcast partner at the time, who was NBC, they decided to put a game outside on New Year's Day. And, you know, if you know anything about sports and New Year's Day, that's normally like pretty solidly owned by college football, I would say. Like you all before the college football playoff, you always had like the Rose Bowl and what other big game like the Fiesta Bowl or the Sugar Bowl, like all all the big those big four or six bowl games were always on New Year's Day. 
So if you're playing on New Year's Day in college football, you've had a successful season. But the NHL and that decides to wait in. I guess NBC didn't have a bowl game that they could televise. So, so who does the NHL want to hype in its big game? I don't know. Who do you think, Tim? New York, New York Chicago, Boston, maybe even Philly or Washington? And those are kind of like your big American hockey hotbeds, yeah, right? Yeah, original six team or, you know, a big market, maybe the Kings, something like, like that. Detroit, yeah, yeah, something like that. No, no, the the NHL picks Buffalo and Pittsburgh, <laughs> and um, you know, because when you think of big time American hockey, everyone's mind goes to Buffalo and Pittsburgh. <laughs> you know, two <laughs> two expansion teams, one of which just a couple of seasons before had been negotiating a move to Kansas City. So, um, you know, I think. I think the owner was kind of partial. The owner of the Sabres was kind of partial to this game to begin with. And I think too, like they knew the weather in Buffalo gave them the better, best chance of success, you know, out of all the American cities, like it's probably going to snow and be cold. You know, I can't think of any other besides like somewhere in Minnesota that would have, you know, been better. And I, I don't even know if they were the wild even around back in 2008, maybe I don't even know, but yeah, you're right. That's a good point. There's um, not really too many, um, you know, for, for something like that, because you, you wanted it to work, right? And, and I know they've had it other yeah. places since where there's been, a, you know, maybe a few more issues, but you didn't want to, you didn't want to put it on and then have like constant stoppages or ice melting or anything like that. You had to have it work. And so if you weren't going to do it in Northern Canada, yeah, Buffalo, Minneapolis, maybe, maybe Boston. Um, but you had to go north and Buffalo, you know, with, with the lake and everything. I mean, Buffalo is a pretty short, short thing. Yeah. I think that's what it really, and, and they have a football stadium. So I think that's like kind of the two criteria were, were met there. Um, <clears throat> so uh, just to get in, so it's Buffalo and Pittsburgh, well, Pittsburgh versus Buffalo, if you want to say it correctly, because Buffalo is going to be the home team. Um, the background of the teams, um, not to get too much into the Buffalo Sabres history, but at that time, uh, the Sabres had won the President's Trophy in 2006-2007, which is for the team with the most points in the regular season. Um, but they had lost in the conference finals to eventual champion, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, in the offseason, they lost Daniel Briere, who was one of their big scorers, and a couple other big players from the year before. But they still had Ryan Miller, who's one of the better goaltenders in the league at that time. And of course, Lindy Rupp, who <laughs> was the Sabres coach as he had been since time immemorial, uh, which at that time was 11 years. He was 11 years into his uh, coaching career in Buffalo, which is like, I don't know. I can't compare that to anything else. And, and like in hockey terms, that's like being a coach somewhere 30 years. So it, it was, it was a long, Lindy Rupp was there a long time. Um, some background on the Penguins. Um, the Penguins, uh, they had kind of sucked since uh, 2001. Uh, the low point was a 2000 was 2003. They had a league low 58 points. And uh, after the 2005 lockout, the team went through a major rebuild. Like they tried. Remember that in 2005, they tried to like throw together a team around Mario just to like you know, hey, we're gonna go for it, and it didn't work out. And so they just went into total rebuild move. 
mode. I I had season tickets that year, and I was um, actually excited because you're right. They they did they tried to like piece together these kind of aging stars like Ziggy Palfy and John Leclerc and um, kind of like make this last run with with Mario and Sid was a rookie and that that would be an interesting one to just do an episode about that team because it flamed out so. Um, you know, amazingly, it just, that was a complete, yeah, that was a complete bomb. Who was the coach? Was it Olchek? Was Eddie Olchek the coach? No. It, it was Olchek. I'm pretty sure he got fired that uh, season. Okay. Don't yeah. quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure he did. And, and then they brought in Terry and, uh, but, but yeah, they, it was called, they even like branded it as like the X-Force. So I had a t-shirt, I had an X-Force <laughs> I t-shirt. That. Yeah. You know, it's the X Force. It's like it was a little ninety-ish for two thousand five, but mm-hmm. you know, whatever. <laughs> it it was it was their attempt to just try to brand it as something. So after that disaster, or kind of before, like if you look at some of the the draft, I'm going to go through like how they they rebuilt their core, and they kind of started a little bit before that, but. Like, this is kind of how – so, first it starts with goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury because that's probably the most important position. Goaltender is the equivalent of quarterback in football. Like, if you have one, you can have a pretty mediocre to bad team and still at least make the playoffs, if not challenge for a Stanley Cup. So, they drafted Marc-Andre Fleury. He was mostly known in Canada for at the time for allowing a goal in a championship game in juniors that cost Canada a gold medal in that tournament. Um the, then they drafted uh, Yevgeny Malkin because they still stunk. And now I, I'm, I have 2004 is that and it took them like two years to get Malkin out of Russia because of uh, all the like I didn't understand it at the time. I think I understand it now better because of like I followed some soccer and like baseball is kind of like that, too. You have to pay the league like he was playing in that Continental Hockey League and you have to pay them to have rights to then buy the player. Like you don't, it's not like, like when a player is like a free agent, you just go get them. You know, you have to like go to the league and be like, okay, how much money do you want? They want, Oh, 10 million, 5 million quadrillion dollars, whatever, you know, whatever it is. And you just kind of pay them. So like I said, it took a couple years to get Malkin out. Um, and then uh, center Jordan Stahl in 2006 of the uh, hockey playing stalls, and they were straight from the sod farm in British Columbia. Um, <laughs> and, of course, the main piece to all of this was center Sidney Crosby in 2005, and that was the lockout year. And how they determined that was I think they determined it from the year before they're standing and they just had a lottery although they have a lottery for the top five picks but i think every team was in the lottery and they called this draft this it was called sarcastically the Sidney crosby sweepstakes he was considered to be one of the biggest stars since gretzky and lemieux to come out of canada or at least nova scotia but uh but no he was definitely he's always named the next one and there was a lot of hype around crosby and you know you weren't you weren't sure what to make of that but um you know, I think he's probably lived up to that hype. Um, so with this core of young players, the Penguins make the playoffs in 2006-2007 season, but they just weren't – they were a young team, and I don't think they were quite ready for prime time. They lost the Ottawa Senators in five games. I remember that. It wasn't a very competitive series, and they just, uh, you know, kind of flamed out. Uh, like we said earlier, Michelle Therrien, um was the coach 
um, he got hired and they kind of went from like nice guy, oldie Eddie Olchek to my, to Michelle Terry. And who's kind of like, um, here, we'll play a clip. Uh, I'm not sure after what game this was, but, um, here's Michelle Terry and basically, uh, telling what he thinks of, uh, his defenseman. Not impressed. It's a pathetic performance. Half of the team doesn't care. You know, it's like, are we going to be happy to, to play eight minutes? I'm not going to be happy to play eight minutes. What those guys will say if we take 40% of their salary because they only play, or 50% of their salary because we, they only play for 50% 50, 50 of the time. That's enough. That defensive squad, you know, this, I think their goal, I, I really start to believe their goals is to be the worst defensive squad in the league. And they're doing such a great job to be the worst defensive squad in the league. You know, they're, they turn the puck over, you know, they have no vision. They're soft, like I never see a bunch of defensemen soft like this. So, you know, they put the two combination and there's a lot of guys don't care. They pretend to care, but I know they don't care. I, I think we kind of get the point of uh, Terry in there. Uh, I, I, just legendary, man. I more. mean, he, he just, the, the way he just. <laughs> they just, soft. Yeah. yeah. They, they soft. I, I never seen so many guys just so soft. And they, they think they, they, they think they care, but I, I know they don't care. I know. I, I know what's really going on. They don't care. He um he allegedly like said something like he he didn't that wasn't off the cuff like he wanted to say that to rile them all up because I think he turned to somebody right before he went up there he's like watch this and you know so he he that was sort of premeditated but it's still I mean for me that that's like right up there with like the who's the guy that used to coach the Saints and the Colts remember Jim Mora yeah you know, the way he used yeah, to yeah yeah. Yeah. He used to playoffs, yeah, and diddly poo and all that, and like, you know, uh, I mean, that, that's like, like that's right up there with those kinds of rants. It's definitely an all timer. The Bears who thought, you know, we thought who the Bears who they were, and we let them off the hook. Oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Yes. That's, that's, that, that's like definitely all timer. But um, that's Michelle Terry. And so you went from like Eddie Olchek, like I said, who's like the nicest guy, to this guy who's like, yeah, they they soft. Like I also heard story like he cussed them out like during an intermission like in like half French half English so I mean bilingual cuss out that's you know just in case you didn't catch it in English here's it in French <laughs> so Michelle Terrian um he's he's a classic um so the league they want the hype it's their biggest young star and that's Sidney Crosby and the, it's up and coming team the Pittsburgh Penguins so um. Uh, the setup for the game, um, the NHL picks Ralph Wilson Stadium, which is now Highmark Stadium in Buffalo to host the game. It's Ralph. It's been around for a long time. It's a football stadium. The Bills play their games there. Um, they actually started prepping the surface after the Bills' last home game on December 24th. So thank God the Bills stunk for all those years back then. It was like the Bills, like now, you know, they would have had trouble getting that game in because they had to you know, put it in with it. <laughs> with an NFL playoff game, but uh, because the bills were so bad back then, it really wasn't an issue. So um, 
another thing, they, they put the rink between the 16 yards of the yard lines of the field. So it's kind of between the 20s. And uh, they had to actually level it because I guess they crown the field so it can drain. They had to level it with styrofoam insulation and sand so that the ice wouldn't be like tilted to one side or the other. So some interesting things about them making the uh, the uh, rink. A um, couple of weird fun facts. Uh, Mark Andre, well, not weird, but this is kind of a circumstance. Mark Andre Fleury got hurt a week before the game, so Ty Conklin had to start in goal for the Penguins. Um, I think he hurt his ankle, like going to get a puck into the boards or something like that. But um, Ty Conklin had played for the Sabers the year before, which is odd. But even better connection, he had also started for the Oilers in the Heritage Classic game in two thousand three. So. Uh, they actually had a guy who had some experience in outdoor hockey games. The Penguins did. Um, they also had a guy named George Larock, or as my wife used to call him, George Larroquue. Um <laughs> He was the peng. <laughs> yeah. He was the Penguins enforcer and a uh, Sidney Crosby bodyguard. Um, he had also played in the Heritage Classic for Edmonton. He was just kind of like I don't know. I guess he was a goon. I guess you know. Back then, you had to have a guy to protect Crosby. It really didn't work, though. So yeah, he wasn't. Um, they he also wasn't had, really. Uh, I mean, he technically he was a goon, but he was. I don't know. He he was just a big, huge, hulking guy. He wasn't like uh, like if you compare him to some of the guys we had before, like Alf Samuelson or Darius Kaspari, just guys that would kind of headhunt if needed. Like that was not George Larocque. Like he just he was kind of like a big teddy bear almost. Like he just wasn't. He wasn't really that guy. So you're right. That never really did work. Well, yeah. And it was like, so I remember Madden would say somebody twirled the rock. He can play hockey again. Like, cause he would actually try and play. Like he'd go behind the net and like try and stick handle and stuff. It's like, Oh yeah. You're just supposed to be like hitting people and making sure like, you know, make your, make people scared of you. So they don't like bother Sidney Crosby. They go after you, not Crosby. That's kind of your whole point. But it didn't really work out. And the Penguins never really did get a guy like that for to protect Crosby like that. I, I can't think of, you know, anybody they ever really had. But um, <clears throat> also playing for Buffalo uh, was Ryan Miller, like I said. And he had some outdoor experience. He actually played for Michigan against Michigan State in that Cold War game in 2001, that game I had mentioned at the beginning that was outside. So do you have three guys right there that had experience playing, you know, competitive hockey outside or, I mean, I don't know. I mean, George LaRock grew up in like somewhere in Canada and I'm sure Ty Conklin did too. So they probably played outside. I don't know where Ryan Miller grew up, but maybe he played outside too, but he's, he's definitely American. So I don't know, maybe he grew up in Minnesota or something. I don't know. Um, Obviously, like we said, the uh, NHL picked Buffalo because, you know, had the best chance for cold and snow. And uh, the weather didn't didn't let us down. You know, it really did. It, it, it was cold and snowing conditions for the whole game. It was it looked like a game played that should be played outside, you know. So even with that, it's kind of funny, even with the snow in the forecast, the NHL didn't want to take any chances. So they actually brought snow into the stadium to make it look like, it was a snow filled stadium. So they actually brought trucks of snow and put it in it on the field. So, um, <laughs> which is kind of odd, but Hey, it, you know, it's TV. You got to make it look right, I guess. So uh, <laughs> the NHL had to make some rule changes um, for the game. 
they had the team switch ends at the halfway mark of the third period to nullify any wind and weather advantage a team may have had. So, and they also let like, you know, if it were to go to, you know, a shootout, you could pick which end you wanted to defend because I guess, like I said, the wind and the snow ended up, it ended up playing a major factor. So uh, that's all the lead up and uh, on to the game. Um, it's kind of cool. The Pens score really early in the first 30 seconds of the game, and it's the ultimate trivia question answer. So before we play this clip, do you know who scored the first goal in Winter Classic history, Tim? Was it Colby Armstrong? You looked at the notes, didn't you? No, I swear I didn't. I, <laughs> I remember that. I remember it was Colby. Is yes, that right? Yes it, okay. yes, it is. And uh, hold on, we'll... Uh, We'll play that clip for you. They came out a couple times last week just to chart the normal wind flow, so they could at least have the wind at their backs in the first period. Here comes Crosby, shot by Campbell, and they score! Colby Armstrong after Crosby with a dash by the defense, and it's 1-0 Penguins, 21 seconds in. I did not so, remember that it was that it was 21 seconds into the game. I'll say that I didn't remember that it was that quick. I remember, I remember it was early on. I, I do remember that, which was you know pretty cool. Good for Colby Armstrong. Something he can tell his grandkids about. It's almost like equivalent to like, do you know who scored the first points in a Super Bowl for the Steelers? It was a safety. That, that's like another great. Yeah, it was Dwight White. It was Dwight White, okay. Tarkington. Yep, I know it was a safety, yeah. but I couldn't remember who who touched Tarkington in the end zone when he dove on the ball. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like funny too. Like I know Stan Savern has a funny story about that. Like he's like asking like Dwight White who did that, and he's like, I don't know, Franco, Terry. It's like it's you. <laughs> it's like really, <laughs> but but um, so like after that, like the ice. Like we were talking about, you were just talking about the ice and like being cold. Like the ice was not good this game. It it was not like you can tell it's the first one and they kind of like threw it up quickly. I guess if you started on the 24th, you only really had what eight days to put this together. So I, I think that was part of the issue is they, they didn't feel like they had enough time to get the ice right. And it was their first time doing it. So I remember at one point Crosby tried to flip the puck in the air to himself to carry the puck into the Buffalo zone because the puck couldn't sit right on the ice. And uh, it was just, it, it was like crazy. And the snow was really flying. Um, there were really some big hits by Buffalo in this game. And this game would, it, it like, unlike like the, one of the complaints about the heritage classic was like, nobody wanted to hit anybody because at negative 22, like, do you really want to get hit when it's that cold? You're already cold. So, so, but I think that this game was as physical as anything. And um, the Penguins did dominate the first period, but they just couldn't get another really offensive in. Like I said, there was just a lot of uh, snow and stuff on the ice and it was tough to control the puck, but uh, so it ends with the Penguins being up one, nothing. So, um, Buffalo keeps the physical play going into the second period 
And early in the period, they uh, even up with a goal by Brian Campbell. And it's just a very physical play throughout that period. I remember there's a highlight, like Brooks Orpik takes a big hit and he literally like gets rolled on his back and does like a somersault on the ice. Like Brooks Orpik. I remember from Buffalo did that, but Buffalo definitely was uh, just, just totally phys- out physically the uh, Penguins, which, you know, that's kind of Penguins. That really isn't their game. Like, a physical, like hard checking game really isn't normally what the Penguins are traditionally known for. So uh, we move on to the third period and uh, the third period is still that weather is going. It's, it's really bad. And the, the ice is getting worse. I remember there was a lot of stoppages in the game for ice. And like, do you remember one of the Zambonis actually froze up, had like a big block of ice and one of the Zambonis broke. So wow. they only had like one Zamboni for like the end of the game. Huh. No, I do not I, remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. And uh the weather really made the game very uneven. There were a lot of delays. Like they had to take a lot of extra commercials and stuff. Like normally hockey's not like baseball or football where you know the game like if a game starts at 7, it's normally over by 9, you know. This game I, I it took forever just cuz so many stoppages and stuff. But uh, Ty Conklin played really well, and he turned away a lot of uh, chances that the Sabres had. I think he ended up with, like, 36 saves. So he he played really well, especially in the last minute of the third period. Like, Buffalo had a bunch of chances to to take a light lead, and uh, he was able to keep the puck out of that. And uh, once again, Colby Armstrong plays a a huge role. He takes a hooking pin. Like, the Penguins are – I can't. I, the Penguins are like just at the last few seconds of regulation. And he takes a hooking penalty right as time expired in the third. So like the Penguins literally go into overtime on the penalty kill. <laughs> now, Steve, so, back back then, what were the overtime rules? Was it still five on five? I think it was still five, five on. I think it was five on five. It was still regular. It was five on five, and then the shootout. Okay, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, okay. it's just like a regular. I think it was still just like regular, but they added the shootout after because they went to the shootout after the lockout. That's when they added the shootout. Mm. And I remember everybody got like all fired up about that. And it was like, oh, not a shootout because some people don't like it. But so the Penguins kill that penalty in Buffalo. Duff- definitely dominates the first half of the overtime. But then the Penguins kind of work it out and, like, you know, start to break out when they can kill off the penalty. But they just can't get one past Ryan Miller. And, um, you know, it's just, like I said, the ice was really bad. And getting any offense going had, had really become a struggle at that point with the uh, with just the conditions, the weather conditions. But it still looked awesome. And, you know, 70,000 people are there having a good time. So why not go to a shootout? So they go to a shootout. Chris Letang and Crosby were the second, were the first. I think Christensen was the first for the Penguins. And, like, the first guy for the Sabres scored, actually. And then Christensen didn't. So, like, it all, like, Chris Letang really had to, like, you know, Conklin makes a big save, and Chris Letang probably makes, like, a very big goal in that shootout to to set Crosby up. So, here I have uh, I have the call for – um. We'll do the call. This is the, you know, the, this is the end of the game. This is the last couple shooters in the shootout. So we'll we'll share that with you. Connolly two for six in his career, zero for one this year against Conklin. Save. 
Yeah, this was a big stop. Yeah, that was a big stop. Him like stopping Connolly, that like was big because that kind of set. It allowed Chris Letang to to tie the tie the shootout. Not many defensemen do this, but he's been terrific. He's unbelievable at that, isn't he? He four lost. out of four. It looked like he did lose yeah, it, didn't he? He, he did, but he managed to regain up. control, calm it down, and then go high to the blocker side. With that one stick handle there, he never even touched the puck. He just went over the top of it like he was trying to clear the snow off the top of the puck. What a move. Forehand, backhand. Yeah, it's weird that, like, Chris Letang, too, is a defenseman. Like, defensemen normally don't aren't in the shootout. <laughs> At least not the first three. So that's kind it's of also a, it's also weird that we had a goaltender that could stop shootout uh, shots. Remember that? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that was that, pretty. That's awesome. also kind of odd, you know, because we don't really have that anymore. <laughs> uh. Everyone standing, a pin again, off over one, five for twelve in his career on Conflict. Another great thing is they both played like both goaltenders played at the one end because the other end was so bad. So they just stayed at the one end. They had to like switch, you know, it's like when you played street hockey on the street, you know, like, okay, I'll take the goal. You take the goal. You know, he only had one net. One for five this year, eight for 26. The game on his stick right here. Snow flying in their faces as they celebrate as kids they might have done 20 years or so ago in a two-on-two game. This was not that. <laughs> the shootout winner by Sidney Crosby. But as he was approaching Ryan Miller, you couldn't even see the puck. And then he made the quick little move right between the legs and the Penguins win this game. So penguins win, penguins win, yay! No, um, it, it's just like a classic moment in Pittsburgh sports now. It's like you know, legendary become legendary. Um, <clears throat> I looked up some quotes about what Crosby said he was thinking. He said, "If you would have been in my mind, I'm telling you that all I was thinking about was trying to get a shot on net." <laughs> and uh, after the game, Crosby said probably the most Canadian thing ever. I just wanted some warm clothes and a hot chocolate after that so <laughs> yeah ryan but, uh, miller was... R- ryan miller uh and crosby i mean poor ryan miller because this goal and then the the golden goal two years later were both on ryan miller um he just he kind of always had his big moment stolen by crosby back then let me uh put a little explanation point on the game um it's the perfect tv ending the star of the league wins the game in dramatic style the nhl and penguins fans couldn't have asked for a better ending um and it really did look like a snow globe at the end of the game like somebody shook up a snow globe and like had a hockey you know a little hockey thing in there but um and and some more on the aftermath what happened to the teams uh, buffalo didn't make the playoffs even though they finished with 90 points for the season uh, eventually the Sabres did fire Lindy Rupp, but that wasn't until 2013. He lasted 
what, four or five more years after that. He was one of the longest tenured head coaches at any of the four major pro sports. Um, the Pens that year, they have a great playoff run and make the cup finals, but they lose to the almost dynasty Red Wings team with Henrik Zetterberg and friends. So um, there's a little Crosby commercial that we can put in there where he talks about losing to Henrik Zetterberg, but it was pretty cool. Um, I have a link to that. Um, more on the aftermath of the game. That was just the aftermath for the teams. Um, the game gets a 2.6 rating on TV, and it almost tied the Gator Bowl on CBS, which got a 2.7. And uh, that was actually the highest-rated regular season game in the NHL since 1996. And uh, here you go, Tim. I know you love this. It gets a higher rating than Gretzky's last game in 1999. So I know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I know you, you like that one. Um, the game sets a regular season attendance record for the NHL with 71,214. It gets more than the Heritage Classic at 51,000, but not as much as that Michigan-Michigan State game that I keep alluding to that had 74. Um, just in case you're wondering, if you're wondering, well, what's the highest attended hockey event? Um, it was the Michigan versus Michigan State game in 2010 at 105,000. That's the highest attended hockey game. And then uh, in the NHL, it's the Maple Leafs and the Red Wings, and they also played at that. What, what is that? The big, the big house. I don't know what the official name for that is. I just call it the Big House. But one hundred and four thousand for that game. So, if you have a game in Ann Arbor, those are the big hockey games still right now. Nobody, I don't think anybody's really matched those totals. One hundred thousand people at a hockey game is pretty impressive. It is. Um. So. The, the game's like a huge success, and because of the success, the NHL makes the Winter Classic a regular event on New Year's Day. And But they kind of make a switch. They switch the games, although they're going back to football stadiums, I think, again, the next year or two. They switch the games from football stadiums to mainly baseball stadiums because I think the main reason was it's a little smaller and it's easier. Like, it gives them more time to set up the, the hockey rink you know, in the baseball stadium. Um, although in 2020, Dallas and Nashville did play in the Cotton Bowl and they got 80,000 people for a game. I mean, I cannot believe Dallas and Nashville would become two hockey hotbed markets. I mean, boy, you would have said that even in 2008, you'd have been kind of like scratching your head on that one, huh? The NHL does kind of oversell the idea, I think, because they add this thing called the Stadium Series, which is different than the Winter Classic because they can just kind of have them whenever and wherever and how many ever they want to have. And they've had them like places like L.A. and Dodger Stadium, and they've had a few. Like the Penguins were in one in Soldier Stadium against the uh, Blackhawks. Um, the NHL keeps having the Heritage Classic as an outdoor game for the Canadian teams. Even though in 2022, which I guess is coming up this winter, uh, Buffalo is playing Toronto. I guess all the other Canadian teams were busy on New Year's Day. I don't know. Uh, the Winter Classic has even been played in Lake Tahoe, Nevada, which seems like an odd thing. So, And like I said, there's a, an event at a, a Winter Classic is going to be played in Nashville in 2022 between Tampa Bay and Nashville. Once again, not really traditional, you know, hockey markets, but um, I bet they'll sell out. That's that's the Tennessee Titans Stadium, whatever they call it, 
you know, these days. But um, and then there's another one scheduled for Raleigh, North Carolina in 2023 for the hurricane. So, I mean, if the goal of this like showcase of your sport and league was to spread it to places where, you know, hockey normally isn't popular, I would say that, you know, this has probably been an unmitigated success, you know, <laughs> It, it really was. And, and even at the time, um, to your point, Steve, about the ratings and everything, uh, you know, it was a huge success. I, I remember listening to Mike and Mike on ESPN the next day. And at the time, that was kind of the, the big, you know, that's where everybody got their sports talk um, or a lot of people got their sports talk. And I remember they um, they said how uh, they kind of teased it before commercial. They're like, you know, all the bowl games yesterday and and the best sporting event of the day was not a, a college football game. And then they just went into great detail about what a, what a great event that was. And then it, it definitely helped that it, you know, came down to a shootout with, you know, the, the, the best young player in the game at the time who, you know, to your point, Steve hadn't really, hadn't really broken out yet, but, you know, certainly had a lot of um, pedigree and it comes down to him. So that made it just dramatic and, fun and um like you said i mean that birthed so many other games they, they did oversell it the penguins have played in multiple outdoor games now that you mentioned the soldier field game they played one at heinz field against the flyers um they played one against the capitals i think at heinz field so there's there's been a bunch of them now they're not quite as unique as that one was but you know it definitely opened up a whole door of cool things they could do with outdoor games i think they've played them in like yankee stadium and you know, they've really played them in some interesting places. Yeah, they played them in, uh, I think, Fenway, you know, Wrigley, you know, anywhere, like, you know, a lot of, like, different kind of places. Um, like you said, this game put Crosby on the map. Um, we talked about Crosby would go on to beat Miller for that golden goal in the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver. So uh, poor Ryan Miller, he gets tortured by Sidney Crosby again. Um, just to kind of do the final thoughts, the, the Penguins did wear them cool retro blue sweaters, which was the first time they had worn them since the 70s when they switched to the black and gold colors for the team. So, and it was really a marketing boom. It was genius. Like those things are probably still one of the more, well, yeah, it's your background there, Tim. I mean, it's, you know, one of the more popular, you know, Penguins logos. So, um, I, I mean, the Penguins go on to win three Stanley Cups over the next decade or so. And uh, I would definitely call this game the springboard or the beginning for uh, this group of Penguins, their dynasty. I'll call them a dynasty. I mean, three Stanley Cups. They won another, one more Stanley Cup than the Kings or the Blackhawks, right? I don't think the Blackhawks won three. Right? The Blackhawks won three, yeah. Won three. Well, then they're at least equivalent to the Blackhawks. Yeah. But, but, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – you know, it's really an amazing goal. And uh, like you said, I can't compare it to anything else in sports. Like, like maybe like the only thing, like what if Michael Jordan would have had to shoot like a foul shot at the end of a game to win a, you know, win a game or something or, or like, you know, somebody, even if somebody hits a home run, like, like Joe Carter in the world series, you know, or Mazeroski, that's the only thing, you know, I, I don't know, David Tyree's helmet catch. I don't know. <laughs> Adam Vinatieri kicking a field goal. I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's definitely one of the bigger things, at least in Pittsburgh sports for sure, and probably in the NHL in general. So um, any other final things there, Tim? 
Well, that, I, I really like, Steve, that you framed it as a springboard because I never thought of this game like that. But, you know, the way you the way you presented it, that makes a lot of sense. And you were trying to find other sports moments to compare it to. I don't know that I would compare it to a dramatic moment. Maybe I would compare it to, if to your point, to like springboard moments. So like those great 49er teams, okay, they had the, the Dwight Clark cast. That was like their springboard. The Patriots had like the tuck roll game. That was their springboard. Um, Michael Jordan had the Craig Elo shot. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. so you can always go back and look at like, and Steelers had the immaculate reception. And, and sometimes those teams didn't win a championship that season. And the Penguins didn't win a championship that season, although they got, you know, all the way to the finals. But, um, but that was kind of the coming out party and the, the like, okay, we have some potential. And now like, this is, this is real. This is, this is actually something. And, and then the end result of that group with Latang and Latang and Crosby and Malkin all figure prominently in that game. You know, that that's the, that's, they, like you said, they win three Stanley Cups. So I, I think that's really well um, stated there by you because I, I just never thought of it that way before. And and you're right, you can really trace it back to that game. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, that's what I kind of thought, you know, even though the, you know, you know, Crosby had been around for two or three seasons and Malkin too, but I think that's when the team finally started to really be competitive because they had kind of been around but hadn't done anything. And then, you know, they, they, they definitely, you know, that springboarded them into the, the success they would have for years to come. But um, as usual, thanks for joining us. I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, our episode today and uh, reliving the memories of the uh, good old winter classic in 2008. Um, join us on uh, Pittsburgh sports memories at weebly.com and uh, check us out on Twitter. Give us a ratings. It helps other people, you know, find us, tell your friends and families and neighbors and, dogs and cats whoever else likes to listen to sports <laughs> podcast let them know but um thank you so much for listening and we'll uh, catch you next time <laughs>